Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live enthusiastically today and tomorrow and every day thereafter. I am Ron Kaiser. I'm a licensed psychologist and also author of the book, Rejuvenating. It's an award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. The term enthusiasm really describes today's guest. I'm so thrilled to have Allison Donaghy with us. She is not only one of the most enthusiastic people I know, but one of the most creative and unorthodox thinking people that I know. So I don't know where we're going to go with this <laughs> podcast, but I, I know it's going to be informative, interesting, and educational. Allison is the radio host of the Allison Donaghy Show. She's also author of the international bestseller, she's way ahead of me, the international bestseller, Think Opposite, Using the Domino Effect to Change Your Business, Change the World. She's also a cause and effect strategist and will expand your mind in ways you didn't think possible. That I can assure you of. Her latest project is called My Part, Accepting Our Part in Every Situation that We Find Ourselves in which brings us to the place of true empowerment with the goal to see ourselves as part of humanity as a whole, rather than dividing it into victims and victimizers, oppressed and oppressors, thus moving toward understanding the inherent value of everyone. And there's probably no more timely message these days than the fact that that we really do share a lot of things, even though if you listen to the news very much, we may not think that way. We got to try to begin to change that, and Allison is certainly doing her part. Allison, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a thrill to have you here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I loved you when we met, and I'm just uh, getting to spend time with you in any capacity, I think is fantastic. So thank you. Great. Well, I know you've got a lot to say. Uh, when I first started hearing some of the things that, that you talk about, I thought, geez, that's kind of unusual to come from a woman. <laughs> Get and that then I realized I was doing to you what some people had been doing to me when people say, hey, you're more active than, than most old guys. You know, and I, I just felt uncomfortable with being categorized. And then I felt guilty about categorizing you. But I'm really interested in how your journey came about to being this kind of advocate for humanity as a whole and for having people look at the other side to some extent. Mm, yes, thank you for that. I guess the My Part stuff started January 2018. I gave a speech called My Part, where I talked about how we have to be really careful about what movement we get on board with, because there is a double-edged sword to everything. So every movement that we're involved with has a positive and a negative, and we have to be careful about what side we attach ourselves to, and even have the awareness that we may be acting in a detrimental way. And so then I went on to talk about how the Me Too movement, we have to be careful about that because while it does a lot of good, really good things, it also is creating a lot of damage in the world as well with groups like Meg Tao, uh, men going their own way. 
and just men being silenced. And, and I even think Trump getting in is a result of some of this stuff that's going on around these movements. And then I talked about when I was sexually assaulted in high school, and it wasn't until I came to the understanding that I co-created that without shame, without blame, and without letting that jerk off the hook. Um, but I did, I did co-create it. I did go out with somebody that I didn't want to go out with. I didn't listen to myself when it was like, no, I shouldn't go back to his place. And I still went back. I didn't deserve what happened to me. Yet it was also a series of my choices. And if any step along the way, I'd made a different choice, I would not have been a victim. Once I realized that, it was when I actually got to stop being his victim. So then after that speech, a gentleman reached out to me and uh, told me about when he was sexually assaulted by his wife and put in the hospital for three or four days and then laughed out of the police station when he reported it. And while I was listening to him and I had him as a guest on my show, I started realizing that I hadn't been seeing men, not in any sort of a valid way. Like, yeah, you guys are guys right? Like I didn't see you. And so I spent enough trying to understand the male perspective. And, and through this, people kept reaching out and saying, well, how did you stop being a victim? And from that became this My Part movement that I'm working on creating and the course that I offer. And it's really about when we understand our own worthiness, then we can actually stop being a victim. Because I think there's two levels with worthiness. One is an internal worth and the other is an external worth. So if I am internally intact in my worthiness, it'll be really hard to victimize me. But when I'm looking to you for my approval, um, for my validation, for my worth, now I'm always at a place of mercy for your good nature, but whether or not you're actually going to fill that role for me well. And most people just can't. They don't want to. It's not in their best interest, whatever the case may be. And so then I end up feeling like a victim, like, why can't they love me more? Why can't they do me more like this? Why does this always happen to me? And so I really think that there is a way of moving out of that into a freedom state by acknowledging our worth. That was long. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it, was, it was really, really interesting and terrific. <laughs> and as you were talking, though, I, I think in terms of the fact that some children grow up without having, you know, a sense of empowerment. At what age can we really begin to think in terms of, hey, you know, I do have control over my life. I do have the ability to listen to somebody like Allison and, and apply her principles. Mm. Uh, do you need to have gone through a certain amount of maturing? Uh, wh where does this start? I think it starts as soon as we can have cognitive thought, as soon as we can start comparing, contrasting, that sort of thing is when we can start recognizing our own worth. And so whether you're 10 or 100, I don't think it matters. I think it's, it has to come with that desire of living the life that we want. We forget that we were born miracles. You know, this little tiny sperm found this egg. Like if that's not a miracle and it made you instead of a thousand other options, I don't know what is a miracle. And therefore, because we are miracles, we have to be worthy. And if we can start seeing ourselves that way, I think uh, as soon as we can make that connection, then we can move out of a victim state into a freedom state. I don't think we're ever too young. I don't think we're ever too old. That's great. And, and when you think about it, I mean, some of the things that we start accomplishing right from the beginning, I mean, how... How complex is it to, to learn to walk and to talk and to read? I mean, you know, there, there's lots of 
opportunities to really be proud as we grow up. And for some reason, that doesn't get processed. It's almost like that's expected. And then, you know, it's not given as, as much value. And I think that to some extent that probably holds through uh, throughout life, that, that some things that I might not be able to do, but somebody who's more technically adept can do, still that work may not be as valued as somebody who is spending their time on book work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there, we are complex critters. <laughs> on the one hand, we're very, very complex. But on the other hand, it's pretty simple too. stop telling yourselves the stories that keeps you stuck. Mm-hmm. Right? It's um, understanding, recognizing our worth, recognizing how we contribute. So I think that if we always are at choice. Now, we can't always control the circumstances around us. We can't control if we're in a hospital. Like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, that book was incredible. His, his message is incredible that you can be in a concentration camp and still decide who you are. And I think this whole worthiness thing is just us deciding who we want to be and then being that. And so if somebody goes through your course, Mm -hmm. what are some of the the steps that they'll take and how do you graduate from it? What what (laughs) does it look like when you're done? Well, it's an eight-week course, so it's a lot online, video, um, PDFs, worksheets, and then once a week Q&A with me to go over whatever it is that we're learning, anything that comes up. So it's steps like trying to understand the pay value for why you're a victim, because there's always a payoff. We don't do anything for free. So if I can complain about my teenager, he's no longer my teenager, but when he was, if I was complaining about my teenager, I will get sympathy from other parents. Oh, I know what you mean. Now I feel like I belong. I feel validated. I feel worthy because I'm sharing an experience with somebody, even though it's not a positive experience. And so it's recognizing and seeing that. So we work through um, a series of steps I'm moving from understanding where we are, understanding where that payoff is, and then how do we get to that freedom state? Great. It kind of corresponds to the way that I like to do therapy. I always tell people, you know, if you really want to change, you don't need a therapist so that you can wallow, and you don't need someone to ask you how, how did things go this week, and then you can entertain the therapist telling them how it went this week, and then next week you can tell him or her about how it went the following week, but it's really important to be able to set goals and to be able to make steps in the right direction and think positively. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess one of the questions that I wonder is if somebody isn't feeling particularly worthy, does some spark go off in their head? Do they have to hit bottom in some way, uh, like an addict? I mean, how, how does somebody decide? You know, do they happen to have to get lucky and hear you speak? Or, you know, how, how does it happen? Um, I think it's, it comes with awareness, right? Like, I still work on this all the time. There are times, like something happened a couple of weeks ago, and I felt like a victim. But how long do I want to stay in that place? Because when I'm a victim, I'm giving my power to somebody else, and they don't deserve it. And so... It is really about understanding and recognizing the signs of when you're slipping back into that. So for example, I did a half day workshop and one of the women there was going through a divorce 
And she was said, you know, my husband, he was horrible. He did all these terrible things. This is all his fault. If only he was more like this, if only he was more like that. And then at the end of the half day, she said to me, she said, well, I co-created this divorce, didn't I? I don't know. Did you? She goes, I totally did. I co-created everything that broke down in our relationship and I'm co-creating the mess of our divorce. She recognized that there is another player there, but she also played a part. And so she ended up phoning the mediator and said, hey, can you tell my husband that I understand that this isn't all his fault now, that I contributed to the breakdown and I think we should go about this differently. And so now they're going through this amicable divorce because she recognized it. Now, does, is that going to be the magic pill and fix everything in her life? No. But every time that she starts pointing the finger at somebody else, she gets to stop and go, okay, how did I co-create this? And the more we do it, the easier it gets. Most people, though, I guess, start from a, a victim role if, if they're not feeling worthy. And sometimes that role is actually structured in, uh, like they may not be the boss at work you know, might be uh, in a minority group where the majority is, is holding the cards. If you create that awareness in someone, does the next step mean confronting whoever is victimizing them? Or do you usually have to go someplace else and start over if, mm. if you make that change? Right. I think there, there's two types of being victimized. One, if you're at work and somebody is picking on you all the time. Uh, in a bullying type way, which would be handled differently than if you're just walking around going, woe is me, poor me, poor me, poor me. And everybody is doing things that just isn't right. That is a slightly different thing than somebody picking on you and causing hell in your life. I still believe though, we can only control how we show up. And sometimes that might involve confronting somebody. And sometimes it just might mean changing. And when we change, people around us can't help but change. So if we are no longer reacting the way the bully wants us to, the bully will change. They'll go somewhere else. They might try different tactics. But if we stay true in who we are and the worth that we have, we are going to be less inclined, I think, to be picked on. Great. As you undoubtedly know, a lot of times the bully is someone who is insecure. Is there anything that you or I or anybody can do in terms of letting them know that, hey, we know that you don't necessarily feel the way that you're acting. It's okay to acknowledge that. Or isn't there a structure for doing that because people don't want to give up the power over somebody. Right. Yeah. Because that is intoxicating having that power and control over another human being as sick as it is. It is intoxicating. I think it really depends on the situation. I don't know if there's a blanket response to anything. I now, if somebody is being nasty to me, my response is usually, do you need a hug? And, and I try to be, and I say it sincerely and I mean it because I believe when somebody is reacting like that, they are probably in pain. And offering somebody a hug sort of melts everything else away. They either go away or they take your hug. Now, is that going to work in every situation? Absolutely not. (laughs) If you're getting mugged, I don't think you should say to somebody, hey, mugger, can I hug you? But I think there are ways of letting people know that you see them. But in order to see them, you have to see yourself first. And how does this look operationally? I know you're really an admirable person. You know, there's, there's so much, I, I'm, for, for those of you who are listening, 
Allison is on online almost all the time with with different bits of advice, you know, lots of good information. I, I guess I'm wondering, how does it look like when you really feel worthy, when you feel what's different about a person who has successfully overcome the victim role and is kind of leading the life that, that they should be leading and what prevents them from becoming, you know, victimizer again. You know, in other words, we know sometimes role modeling is a very powerful teacher. So I guess I'm wondering, what does what the, the Allison or somebody like Allison look like when, when they're successful? There is a peace around it. You know, when we are in a victim state, I think our whole system is stressed out right? Because we're waiting for the next shoe to drop. We're just on edge all the time. But when we're no longer waiting for that stuff, when we are understanding and connected to our internal worth, there is a peace. There is a peace that no matter what you say to me, I'm still okay. That if we have a difference of an opinion, I can suspend my belief without losing who I am to hear what you have to say. And so there is this strength and this inner peace and, um, this ease that goes along with moving out of that victim role. And life can just be so much more enjoyed. It is, it's amazing when we stop thinking about what's going to go wrong or what is wrong or amplifying it because it's all just a story we're telling ourselves. Yes, there is a tendency to really think about what can go wrong without at least considering the possibility that things could go right. Right. And how much time do we spend projecting that? Right. If we're not worried because we know we can handle what's coming along, then we just get to enjoy the moment. We get to live that day with the enthusiasm that you were talking about uh, as we are growing older. And there's a lot of things I think we lose as we get older. We lose, maybe we're not as visible as we were when we were younger. I think a lot of older people are unseen. So it really becomes up to us. Like my one of my companies is a house painting company. And so I deal with a lot of older people who can no longer go up the ladder. So that changes their identity, that changes their relationship to self. And often they can feel like they are a victim of getting older. And if we, if we find those places where we can be enthusiastic and when we can understand our worth growing older, I think can be a blast. I'm certainly enjoying getting older. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you do it the right way, but you got a long way to go to catch up with me. (laughs) But you're doing it the right way. But as we talk about people getting older, I don't know that this is the exact same topic. I think that there are people who aren't really victims in a classical sense of being victims, but who have really not developed their potential because they have been essentially followers more than victims and looking to others to take the lead. Mm-hmm. And some of them reach the senior years, for want of a better term, with time on their hands, with talent, but won't think about volunteering or chairing a committee in, uh, you know, in their community or church or synagogue or something like that. I, I wonder, does some of the same thinking apply and how can somebody who has been a follower more than a victim, not necessarily, you know, unhappy with what their situation is, but somewhat unsatisfied that they're not meeting their potential? Do you have some advice for them? Oh, I would um, project your life 20 years in advance and ask if you're proud of the moment that you're in right now. 
Ask your future self, is this all I have to give? And is this all I want to give? And if the answer is a resounding, yes, this is all I got, this is all I want, then great. But I will think about like when I'm, because I'm 50 now, so I think, okay, when I'm 70, or now I'm sort of bumping it up to 90, because 70 just seems to... (laughs) Um, when I'm 90 and I'm looking back at my life, am I going to be proud of the life that I have? Am I going to be my own cheerleader? And if the answer is no, then I better start doing things differently today. Yeah, great advice. Mm. And again, I, I think one of the real realities that, that people have to deal with is the fact that, that people are living longer, living longer many times in good health, hopefully if they Read my book, they'll be in even better health and more. <laughs> and they should. <laughs> so you really should be maximizing those years because it's not like you get to a point and you run out the clock or something like that. But people should really be taking those opportunities, maximizing their potential. And this, this is really, really good advice. Well, I think that we often fall victim to the stories we tell ourselves. I'm too old. I could never have a podcast. And look, you're killing it. Or the, um, oh, I'm not good at that. I could never understand a computer. I could never learn how to use a smartphone. That is a story that we're telling ourselves. And if we believe it, we are becoming our own victim. And I don't know, I have such an aversion to feeling like a victim that hence starting all of this. And when I see other people doing it, I'm like, oh, you could step into magnificent if you wanted to let go of those stories. Mm -hmm. And so often we're doing it to ourselves as much as other people are doing it to us. And on the other hand, it becomes very rewarding once you make the change. Yeah. People think it's it's really hard, you know, to to go to the gym regularly, to be, uh, you know, to eat healthy, to be a leader. And the reality is that it's much harder to have that stuff suppressed within you. And once you really start feeling good about yourself, I mean, again, that that's oftentimes reward enough. People, you know, the way that you feel, the way that I feel, is a whole lot different than the way people feel if they're not really living the best versions of themselves. And with all the help that's available nowadays, with all the uh, the lifespan increase that's going on and so on, the, the opportunity to be the best version of yourself for as long as you can be is, is really there. I think it's exciting. I would rather live my next 50 years as who I am now than who I was at 20. <laughs> I was a mess at 20. I'm still kind of a mess sometimes, but not like that. Um, And I think when we can get into it, we can actually engage in our own life. I think that is just terrific at any age. Yeah. Most of us, I think, can relate to that. that (laughs) Rather be who we are today than who we were, you know, quite a few years ago. And, you know, those are choices. They're they're products of choices that we make. So one of the choices that people could make is to be in touch with you. (laughs) I know you've got a podcast, you've got the course. Can you tell us a little bit about what those of us who are really inspired by you should do next if we want this to continue? 
Oh, reach out. And, you know, you can reach me on my website, dominothinking.com. That's probably the easiest place to find me and everything that I do. So my show's on there. My uh, course is on there. I just had a game come back from the printers that I've developed. So it's called Time to Talk. And so that will be on there. And uh, yeah, it's all pretty exciting. And at the very least, just drop me an email and just say, hey, I'm always happy to have a conversation. And, uh, and the, you know, the stuff that I do isn't for everybody. And so if people are curious at all and want to know if it's for them, like, we can do a couple of emails, jump on a call. I'm more than happy to talk. Great. And uh, the one thing that may not be obvious to everybody, but Where's domino thinking come from? <laughs> oh. and, uh, it, it, it's your website and all that. And uh, <laughs> it's not the most obvious name for somebody <laughs> doing the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, our thoughts have consequences. And so it's like a domino effect. You know, we have this thought, we take this step, and then that will happen, that will happen, that will happen. And we don't always spend time considering what the outcome of that choice will be. And so if we can think of it, all of our thinking is like dominoes and it's going to crash into something else. Do we want it to crash to to what they're crashing into? And if we don't, then change your thought today so you can have a different tomorrow. Great. And that's, I think, the perfect place to end. (laughs) I think you've given us tons to think about. I'm sure people will want to be in touch with you. I know that every time we're in touch that I learn more. So this was no exception. I'm thrilled that we were able to have this conversation. Look forward to speaking with you and seeing you again. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a delight. And I can't wait until you're on my show in September. So all your listeners can tune in and hear more about you. I'll look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 